Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, as cliche as it sounds, both Sarah and Paul and a bunch of the listeners on the webinar, they all basically said that it's due to the pandemic because it led to some really radical changes in how we live and work. And those changes have given room for mental health issues to, I I don't want to say blossom, but to take root and to fester. In this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds, Tom and Matt take a look at mental health issues and the compliance profession. We detail why mental health issues have come to the fore, and more importantly, what are some of the strategies, tactics, and techniques you can use to help your own mental health, the mental health of your compliance team members, and the mental health of others in your organization. It's a fascinating exploration of a topic not given enough attention. I know you'll enjoy it. Before we get started with our podcast, a quick word from our sponsor. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox and Matt Kelly back again for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. We are in for our post-Thanksgiving push for the Christmas holiday. So welcome back, Matt. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, we've got a topic that is probably as well-suited for this time of year as any topic could be, which is mental health. But it's not mental health for the holidays. It's mental health and the compliance profession. And you were recently involved in a webinar on that, and that led to a blog post. So could you tell us the genesis of the webinar and what intrigued you? Sure. So this was a webinar that I had the good fortune to participate in with Compliance Line, now known as Ethico. It was the other week where earlier in the fall, I was on another webinar where we had just asked attendees, what are the sort of subjects you would like us to discuss? And one of the attendees said mental health. I thought that was intriguing. And we put this webinar together and we had some great guest speakers. One was Paul Liebman. Paul is the head of compliance, uh, institutional risk and compliance at Harvard University, but he is the de facto chief compliance officer for Harvard. And Paul also runs a informal pro bono side business called Compliance Clergy, I think it is, where basically he just asks, acts as a sounding board for fellow compliance officers. Uh, but also joining him was Sarah Ross. And Sarah, if that name rings a bell to anybody, was a compliance officer at Novartis in Europe back in the 2010s. For the last several years, she has run her own boutique consulting firm around burnout in the, uh, I guess, the professional working class. So they both joined us along with Nick Gallo from Ethico. And we just talked about 
how compliance officers themselves might experience mental health issues because the profession involves a lot of stress, frankly. Why mental health issues seem to be very of the moment right now, as opposed to, say, 2015 or 2010 or 2005. But and then also a little bit about how compliance officers could think through mental health issues that you might encounter not in your personal life, in the job. What if some of your teammates and your employees and subordinates, what if they have mental health issues? What if you have mental health issues that are coming in as reports on the hotline? And how mental health issues, I think, tie to a strong speak up culture generally, which we all would want to have in a perfect world. So there's actually a lot of issues here that touch compliance officers and compliance professionals about mental health issues you might be suffering, your employees, how you have to anticipate it in the corporate culture you want. And it was a really rich discussion that generated a lot of good thought. Well, let's start with the dates you rolled off, 2010, 2015, but really leads to the question of why now? Why is this topic bubbling up to the point now? What event has really led to Well, as cliche as it sounds, both Sarah and Paul and a bunch of the listeners on the webinar, they all basically said that it's due to the pandemic because it led to some really radical changes in how we live and work. And those changes have given room for mental health issues to, I don't want to say blossom, but to take root and to fester more than they might otherwise have. When we were all on Zoom meetings for, what, a year at least, if you were lucky, that is isolating. And compliance can be a somewhat lonely profession under the best of times. You were working in isolation, and that then led to just a lot of feelings of burnout, loneliness. Once you were working in isolation at home, that might sound cool. Hey, I don't have to spend an hour in my car and commuting, or I don't have to be on the subway next to some weirdos or smelly people or the train breakdown. Isn't that great? Actually, no, I don't think it is because it slowly erases the boundaries between your work life and your personal life. Something that Sarah Ross brought up as well that struck me was a lot of people who just felt like they were on top of their loved ones and you couldn't get away from your spouse or your kids. And now in full disclosure, I was, I suppose, lucky that my wife was a teacher who went back to school in person fairly quickly. But my one of my children had to stay home for two months on end and he was young enough that I had to troubleshoot with him. And I'm sure people listening, we've all gone through that, but it leads to stress and it leads to burnout. Paul Liebman said what he has heard from a lot of people is that there's no more slack in your life where you might be able to take a breath and a pause and think about what you want to do. It's just one thing after another, because it's easy to ask people to do one thing or another after another. If you're doing it by email, it's easy to volunteer to do it if you're just working at home and what else you're going to do. It's just, it all came back to the pandemic. And some of those changes I think are irreversible or they're not likely to recede anytime soon. Many of us still work from home an awful lot when really in the United States, it's generally fine to go back and work in the office in close quarters now. The threat of COVID has receded, but the consequences of it in our work lives and then how that affects our mental health That's still echoing around, and I don't know that those echoes are going to fade anytime soon. So let's turn to, Matt, some of the things that a compliance officer could do, perhaps 
for themselves or others maybe in their department, and then maybe ask you to broaden that out a little bit to how compliance can really help foster at least a discussion around these issues to the broader executive group or middle managers or others in a company. Yeah, there's some fairly simple things that people could do that they might almost sound kind of trite until you actually think about them. But one point I had heard from a speaker at an SCE conference who had spent a lot of time, she was a professor, she had thought about how the pandemic has changed work habits. And she said, one thing you should do personally is even if you have to fake a commute, which I do, and I have worked from home since long before the pandemic by myself, and I walk around the block. I Sometimes I do it a couple of times a day. Or during the warm months, I will walk to a college campus where I live in Boston. We've got a bunch of them. I will do a walk to my office, which really is just a picnic table. And then I mooch off the university Wi-Fi. I come home. But she said something as simple as that and building up routines and barriers between your personal life and your work life, that helps. It points very much to what Paul Liebman had said about lack of slack and feeling like you are always on the go and it's easy to let work creep into your life in increasing degrees. What this woman had said at the SCCE conference was try to put up barriers and define the boundaries of what's personal and professional. I think that makes a lot of sense. I do think that if you can go into work some reasonable amount of time, or if you want to go back in person full-time, I personally think you should. I can see why some people might not. Some people might have long-term health concerns. They might never do that. If you how many of us went on those virtual Zoom cocktail hours back in 2020? I did some of that. But any way to form some personal outreach. Else had thrown out the idea of having a close colleague that you can confide in when you have stresses that you're dealing with as a compliance officer. Funny enough, Gallup, the public, the research poll people, Gallup for a long time, when they do workforce surveys, they have asked, do you have a best friend at work? which sounds like an odd question, except it correlates to employee retention. If you feel like you have a colleague that you can talk to about all sorts of things, you are more likely to stay with your company. And I think there's a similar dynamic when people talk about having someone who can be a sounding board or a just an ear to listen to or a shoulder to lean on, things like that. It doesn't even have to be somebody in your company. We had a couple of Webinar participants say that they had compliance colleagues elsewhere, that basically they could just call up and bitch about how their boss is driving the nuts or they didn't like their company. But uh, those kind of relief valves worked. There are some bigger programmatic issues about the importance of mental health in a company we can talk about as well. But even just on the, the personal level, if you, a compliance officer, are feeling stress or burnout or anxiety, there are practical steps that you can take to try and make your life a bit more bearable. And those were some of them, and there's plenty of others with, uh, that are out there. Now, what about the compliance profession being attuned to this condition in the greater corporate culture? And you earlier you remarked about how this could, a speak-up culture, and I want to maybe even broaden that up to out to, it really might help demonstrate an overall corporate culture if there are resources available or some other strategies that a company can use to help alleviate these conditions in its workforce, particularly well, middle management and above. 
That came up a lot with this webinar. A lot of people did talk about the utility or lack thereof. There's some people who were a bit cynical of employee assistance programs, the EAPs that just about every large company has that are more like, I'd, I would say they're generally an outsourced third party service that the com company offers. The employee can talk to that EA coordinator or intake person to help you out with whatever sort of issue you might have. I would wholly agree that you, a large company, should have that. You should offer it, and even smaller companies can have them and offer them. Some people did say that those EAPs were not really as useful as one would have liked. So maybe there's some other steps companies could take. Somebody gave the what I thought was a great example of annual compassion training for middle managers and senior executives who might hear mental health concerns or burnout complaints from their employees. It's really easy to mishandle that, I think. And we already have a certain larger-than-life CEO who is trying to revamp his social media business and talking about how people have to be extremely hardcore if they want to stay and work at his business. That sounds like a terrible place to work. And so how would a manager be able to be cognizant of some of the issues for mental health that an employee might bring to them? Think about how vulnerable an employee is going to feel if they try and talk about it. But Tom, you brought up a good point as well about I, the role of mental health in a speak-up culture. And I absolutely think that the two are connected because if an employee doesn't feel that they have a safe conduit at work to say, I'm really nervous about this, I'm overwhelmed, I'm feeling just wiped out and I need some time off and time away from this endless grind. If they feel like they can't raise those kind of concerns, does anybody really think they're going to raise concerns about corporate misconduct that they might see? Because I don't see that happening. If they don't feel like the company is able to be a partner to them personally, I think it's very easy for them to turn around and say, why should I be a partner with this company? I don't care what the guy down the hall is doing if that's a scam. Yeah, big deal, man. They don't care about me. I'm not going to care about them. It is a very easy dysfunction to take root and kind of spread throughout the company. It does nobody any favors. So I do absolutely think that, you know, this the importance of a listen up culture to a greater speak up culture that we all want, that is all part of an effective program that the Justice Department talks about so much, an effective speak up culture and a culture of compliance, that is all rooted in management listening to employees' concerns. And sometimes they're going to bring personal concerns. You might not have been prepared for it, but you need to be able to handle it smartly. And the costs of handling that poorly are so sky high. I can't imagine a scenario where a little bit of extra compassion training would not pay for itself over the long run. So could we expand compassion training into empathy training as well? Or are those really the same things? Yeah, I suppose it's probably just a different word for the same concept. Like one point that came up a lot in the webinar was just be a good human, which is easy to say. It's easy to grasp what that means. It's harder to put in practice when we are at a big corporate organization where all the financial projections have been modeled out, all of the data is being tracked, all the work processes are being closely monitored to match up to the projections and whatnot. I can see that it is easier said than done in a large corporate organization to be a good human at scale. But that is really what we are talking about. And that is the sort of culture we would all want personally 
So why would anybody think that is not worth pursuing or there aren't good ends to it? I would see that is very much tied up in what we mean by a culture of ethics and compliance. And we talk all the time about how important that is. It's an easy buzzword to say, but this is what that means in practice. This is part of it. The pandemic now is hopefully past us. And although we may have additional variants, we're probably hopefully through the worst of it. Does it surprise you that almost into 2023, we're talking about mental health issues that really coalesced in the spring and summer of 2020? Yes and no. I think that the pandemic was a great catalyst for this, but there were other underlying issues that still linger today. Let's not forget that in the midst of the pandemic, we also had the murder of George Floyd and we had the Black Lives Matter movement kind of sweep across the country. A very good conversation to have in the United States, as awkward and painful as it might be. But I think there would be plenty of Black Americans who would say, I've felt anxiety walking down the street for all my life. And now finally, white people are waking up to this idea. Where's this news? There, there was underlying tension in some parts of society. How many women have felt anxiety and burnout, especially after the Me Too movement kind of kicked that conversation into the public fairway? And difficult conversation to have, good conversation to have. But there is still sexual harassment that happens in corporate America. There is still racism that happens in America generally, corporate or not. And those kind of conversations will be Difficult to have, but good to have, but they also add to the sort of problems that we are talking about around anxiety, depression, burnout. It can be very difficult for some parts of American society to feel like they are functioning and valued and can add value. And the pandemic brought that into relief for a lot of us and made us all rethink things, but there were still a lot of other underlying issues. Tom, that might be a long-winded way of saying, even if the pandemic does recede, I don't think a lot of this discussion is going to go away because there are a lot of other overlapping forces around mental health, like what we're talking about, that they aren't going away. And I don't know when they will go away. I would just add that we had the most insane election cycle also, yes. That summer and fall as well, at least till this election cycle, perhaps the next election cycle. There's going to be economic uncertainty. There might be people who are disturbed about we, how often did we think about the potential for nuclear war coming out of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I had not thought about nuclear war in quite a while until that happened. But there are other issues that will come along and feed into some of these instincts that lead to mental health crises or mental health uncertainties. And you know, we would be foolish to ignore them. Well, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode. We're going to link to your blog post in the show notes, and I look forward to seeing what next week brings us. All right, Tom. Thank you very much. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special 300th anniversary episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt and I have had a ton of fun over this podcast series. I hope you have as well, perhaps learned a little about compliance details and into the weeds. And I hope you'll join Matt and I again as we head on for our next 300 episodes. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.